Open your Bibles. We're going to be in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, and we're going to talk about that in just a minute. Well, do you remember before the pandemic started about 100 years ago? You remember when that was all true? Well, there was uh, something that happened in 2019. It was actually April 15th, 2019, and the world stood aghast in horror over something that happened that day. And I've got a picture on the screen right here of the event that happened that day. You remember that? If I just told you that it was just three years ago, you'd barely believe it. I don't know why, but I thought that was a long time ago. The church at Notre Dame burned significantly. There's a kind of a wide action shot and then one in close to where you could really see where the spires were burning and just the tragic loss really of that, of an iconic building of that magnitude. Just to give you an idea, this church building was built all the way back in the fourth, started in the fourth century. It was a church that began over the top of a temple dedicated to the god Jupiter. And so again, the church began at really at that, that ground. It uh, expanded a little bit more in the ninth century and became a full-fledged basilica. But then it stretched and was uh, a 200-year building period that ended in 1345 that included more than 1,000 workers and, again, stretched over a 200-year period to be the cathedral that we know of it today. Uh, It has now had more than $1 billion pledged to rebuild the structure. And I've got the scaffolding here, a picture of the scaffolding that's up right now that they're doing and rebuilding that. Well, well, here's my question for you. And I would have loved to have been in a meeting as they were talking about this. But, you know, you go back and like, look at the plans. Were there plans 800 years ago? I mean, can you go pull those back out and look at those? I think probably not. And so there's this big debate of how do we know what to rebuild? And, and, And what materials do we use? Building processes have changed mightily in a thousand years. And so what, how do you even approach this? And I mean, they had to probably go back and look at pictures to say, oh, that's right, that's what was there. Let's do that. And they had to go look at a, some of the remaining building uh, materials to say, oh, that's right, we used that material there. We need to reuse that again. And so there was this big process to decide what was rebuilt at that site at the Church of Notre Dame in Paris. Well, there's sometimes things need to be rebuilt. There's things that need thoughtfulness and planning to rebuild. Let me give you an example of some things that are in the process or maybe need to be rebuilt. As James mentioned earlier, the Seahawks are in a period of rebuilding. You give away your franchise quarterback and you're kind of back to square one here to say, okay, what is it that the team wants to be in the future? Many structures in the Ukraine are going to need to be rebuilt, sadly, right? We're all seeing that and just heartbroken. Obviously, things are still being broken and bombed right now, so you're probably gonna, not going to start the rebuilding process, but that's going to occur. Something's going to be rebuilt there. Maybe on a more personal level, maybe some relationships need to be rebuilt. I'm thinking maybe even of a marriage. And you come to the space of saying, you know, it really needs some attention and it needs to be rebuilt. I want to talk to you today about something that we are rebuilding here at CCF. And we are rebuilding our missions effort, our missions direction, 
Our, our mission's approach is what is being investigated. And I want to tell you more about that today. I'm going to give you some details on why we're doing that. But I really want to start off with the, the game plan. You know, you'd go pull out the plans if you were going to rebuild something. You'd say, all right, what are the basic principles that we need to use here? Or what are the, the building plans? What are, the, what, what are the, the, the drawings? What are they telling us that we need to put into place? And you'd go back to the source materials to do that. And so I could go a lot of places in the Bible to explore that. But the place I want to go today is Acts 1, verse 8. Chances are good that many of you have heard this verse before, so it won't be like a, 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 a real passage that's kind of out there in the weeds. It's probably one you've heard, but we're going to use it today as a little bit of a roadmap for ourselves. All right, here's the verse. It's up for you. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses. Let's all say that together. You will be my witnesses. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. I want you to notice a few things about this passage. Leave it up there for just a few minutes for us, Bernardo. You'll, 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 you'll notice here that you're going to receive some power. The Holy Spirit, this was originally the disciples who had seen Jesus, lived with Jesus. They watched him teach. They watched him actually die and rise again. And they're waiting in Jerusalem. And Jesus tells them before he ascends, you're going to receive power. The Holy Spirit's going to come and indwell you. This is going to be magnificent. You never experienced this before. And this is going to happen to you. And you're going to be empowered for a specific purpose, to be witnesses. What is a witness? Let's remember that, just the basic definition. Witness is somebody who tells others what they saw, what they experienced, what they, what, they, what they saw with their eyes or experienced with their hands. They're going and witnessing and telling somebody else, well, this is what I saw. This is my testimony, as it were. And so the disciples are going to be witnesses, but he gives this a geographic significance or a geographic boundary. In order for us to make sure that we're understanding what he's saying here, let's go back into the first century and he's going to give a little geography lesson to the disciples about how the gospel is going to spread. I've got a picture here of the ancient map of, of Israel and you'll notice that right in the center there is Jerusalem. That's going to be the capital city. And so the gospel's going to start in Jerusalem. Then it's going to spread through Judea, which is the region, you might call it the uh, uh, the, the county, or perhaps the, the, yeah, I guess the county would be the better word. I mean, a good example of that, if you think of Seattle, you think it's in King County. That's the broader region. And so he's saying the gospel is going to spread from Jerusalem to Judea, then to Samaria. And Samaria is that region just to the north. And if we're Jews, we're like, ooh, head scratcher there, because the Samaritans live in Samaria, and we don't much like those people. And Jesus is saying, guess what? The gospel even spreads to people that are not like you and that sometimes you don't even like, but the gospel has a tendency to do that and the gospel is going to spread in that region. And then he says it's going to spread to the ends of the earth. And if you look at the book of Acts, the book of Acts is built on those, the premise there in Acts 1.8. And so you see the gospel spread out and it starts in Jerusalem and con continues to spread out. And it goes out in concentric circles. I've got another picture here of some concentric circles. And it's like, it's, it's, a, it's a 
pebble that goes into the pond and then the waves just keep on spreading out. And so you can see that the gospel is continuing to spread. Well, I'm here to tell you that the church was just grappling to catch up. The the Holy Spirit is the one who's coming and doing this work. And the church is just scratching their heads and trying to figure out how do we even keep up with what's going on here. And again, all they could do was like send a representative. So they find out Cornelius, if you remember the story, is a Roman soldier. He and his whole family in Caesarea, a little ways away, they, they, they find the Lord through Peter and the church hears about it. What do they do? They send a representative to say, what just happened? And there's a church that's established all the way up north in a place called Antioch of Syria. And again, the church is like, what? You're kidding. The gospel spread up there too? Send a representative. Let's figure out. So the church is just trying to catch up with the work of the Holy Spirit. And that's why, again, if I were, uh, if I were completely in charge, I would name the book of Acts the Acts of the Holy Spirit, not the Acts of the Apostles. Because it's really the story of how the Holy Spirit is going and spreading this message and the church is attempting to catch up with that. Well, I'm here to tell you that is the game plan back then. Jesus said this is the way the gospel is going to spread. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And that's still the game plan today. That's still what's happening today. The gospel is being spread over all of the world and the church, many, in many cases, is still trying to catch up with the whole, what the Holy Spirit is all about. And there's still places in the world today where people have not had an opportunity to hear about our Lord, to hear about His grace, to hear about His love, to have a church that's in their own area. And that's what's occurring. That's the template that's still occurring today. We have a missionary God. He cares about people all over the world. And he gives the same marching orders to us today, the same basic plan as what the original disciples had. Well, over the years, we have had a wonderful stretch of interest and concern and expression of our mission's uh, desire. And we've done a lot of really cool things. I want to give you some high points today. I want to take a little walk down memory lane and remind you about some things that have happened here at CCF related to missions. One of the big ones is around 2008, we had a gal that led our youth program. Her name was Katie McGrew. And she had some students and she told those students I want you to dream about where in the world you would want to go. And those gals went away, they dreamed. And this is a picture here of those youth that were a part of that. There's another one that was a part of that uh, right over here named Emily McPherson. It's not in that picture. But those gals went away and prayed and said, guess what? We want to go to a dump in Nicaragua and we want to minister to people on the dump. And Katie took a big gulp and said, "Uh, are you sure? I mean, maybe you'd like to go somewhere else, like maybe Hawaii. That would be a great spot. People need the Lord there. And they said, nope, we want to go to the dump in Nicaragua. And so they went. And I've got pictures of that. I can show you another time. It was a wonderful time. But here's the strange thing that happened. Those gals' lives were changed, of course. But you know whose life was changed the most? Katie's. Katie came to the spot of saying... Strange thing, Dwight, I think we're being called to move to Nicaragua and minister to people here. And I've got a picture here of her young family, 2009, when they left this church and we laid our hands upon them and we said, we believe God is leading you to go 
and preach the gospel in Nicaragua. It was a, it was a wonderful time. I think back on that and it was, it was electric. It was awesome. There's two other missionaries that were sent from this church. Alex Moore was sent and he serves today with InterVarsity. And uh, he came to know the Lord in this church. Didn't even have parents who were Christians or attend church. And he came to this church, found the Lord, and he was sent into the mission field. We've got another one, uh, Ben Davis, who, who serves right now in Tijuana, Mexico, and is an outstanding missionary. And he grew up at CCF. So we've got some stories of individuals who came to know the Lord right here and were sent by our church. Uh, you know, there's other things too numerous to mention. Short-term missions that have been all over the place. Short-term missions like uh, back in the day, again, we went to the Swinomish Reservation in Laconer and had significant outreach among them. We've been in Nicaragua, of course, Cuba, Peru, Minneapolis, and again, too many locations, even numerous to mention, and where we've gone on short-term missions. I've got one that's a blast from the past. I'm going to have you raise your hand if you remember this, but we went to Baja, Mexico one year, and we did something really cool, and I've got pictures of it. We put a car in the parking lot, and you got to take a swing at the car in order to raise money for the Baja trip. Raise your hand if you were there and you remember that. We've got a dozen of you. All right. And it just shows you again how long back our era of caring about the world goes. Yeah, here's another little guy that's getting a swing at the car. I mean, I think we need to do something like that again. That just looks fun. I mean, I just like that. You know, I mean, so, so again, creative stuff. There's been good periods. But, you know, we can't lull ourselves into any false sense of security because we've also faced some challenges. One of the biggest challenges that we faced most recently is that there is a small group of people that have predominantly taken the reins for praying and managing and communicating and sharing funding and all of the things that are related to our missionaries. And I want to give a hat tip to the group that over so many years has cared for our missions efforts in those ways. But if we're to be honest, that group has all gotten a little bit older now. They've run out of gas. And, uh, you know, again, we're saying thank you for those years of great service. But as a result of them kind of doing that so well, it, it hasn't really been a job for all of us. It's been a job that's been, you know, comfortably taken care of over there, but it hasn't necessarily been for all of us. And so it's been a small group of very committed people that love missions and missionaries that have done the, the predominant work. But as they have begun to kind of fade in some of those abilities, it's been that train coming down the track and I've seen it coming. It's like, Lord, what are you going to do once that group can't continue on anymore? And that day arrived. That day arrived kind of during the pandemic, maybe about one year ago. And we said, what are we going to do next? And the elders prayed and prayed and prayed about that. And we ran across a man who runs an organization called 1615. His name is Matthew Ellison. And the organization 1615 stands for Math, excuse me, Mark 1615, which says, go into all the, all the creation and preach the gospel. Preach the gospel to all of creation. And that's the foundation of his organization he's a former missions pastor he's a former missionary and he's helped a ton of churches think more strategically about missions and so we said you know what 
let's bring Matthew Ellison on and let's go ahead and kind of retool, have some rebirth here around what it is that missions is going to look like in years to come. And so we gathered a group of people together. He said, let's find a group of people that will, are willing to pray and talk and, and explore and discern and follow God's lead. And we said, let's really get together a diverse group of individuals from the church. So let's go and find some individuals who have had a big hand and a big stake in missions over a, a long period of time. Let's find some people that basically almost know very little about missions. Let's find some of those. Let's find some that are involved in different ministries, different ages, uh, single, uh, married. Uh, let's get a, uh, just a, a broad swath of individuals. And we went specifically to ask some individuals to serve. And this is a group of people that were called and were on our 1615 Rethinking Missions team. And if you are a part of that team, I'd like for you to stand because we'd like to thank you for the work that you've done. If we could have you stand, if you're on that board right here, and, and uh, we want to thank you again. Yeah. The team met starting uh, last April. They did not conclude their work until this last February, so they were at this for 11 months. A lot of grit, a lot of determination, tons of time of prayer, tons of time of, of, of disagreement at times even. I mean, all of that had to happen as we were digesting what was going to happen in the uh, coming years. Uh, the 1615 organization uses a process called 3D, and the three Ds are discover, design, and deploy, and so we use that as our roadmap, and I'm going to tell you more about deploying next week, or design next week, and deployment, but I want to start off with discover, because that's where we all started, and in the process of discovery, Matthew Ellison said, we've got to start where the church is right now. Where are we right now? And we needed to actually take a realistic look of what the missions effort is right now and where we are. In order to do that, he introduced us to a person he called CCF Charlie, which is an imaginary person. I've got a picture here of the slide that he used with us to talk about imaginary uh, CCF Charlie. And he says, CCF Charlie is thinking certain things, he's seeing certain things, feeling certain things, hearing certain things, and doing certain things. And it's kind of the common person that calls CCF uh, their home church. Well, what are some things that CCF Charlie's experiencing right now? And again, I'm, I'm just here to tell you, we tried to be honest. And in that honesty, it was like, oh man, that's going to hurt a little bit. But you can't move forward unless you're honest with where you are. And there are about five things that we discern that CCF Charlie is experiencing right now. Here they are. Uh, here it is. First one, missions has been the work of a few. And so most of us could say, missions is kind of happening, but it's kind of that group over there. And we're grateful for that group, but, you know, hey, that's kind of the way it is. Missions is important to CCF, but it lacks any clarity. If you were to ask, be asked, hey, when it comes to missions, what's CCF about? You'd probably just scratch your head and say, I'm not entirely sure. I think it matters here, but I'm not really sure about what it is. Uh, we lacked any clear missions vision and strategic implementation plan. So don't really know where we're going and don't know the steps we're going to take to get to that. Number four, we lack a pathway for a typical member to engage. And so if you were knowledgeable about what, what we were kind of about, 
How do you get involved? You'd say, mm, I'm not really sure. I, I don't know a step to take. I don't know a way that I could be engaged and make a difference here. And then the final one, most know very few of our missionaries. And if I were to ask the common person who attends CCF, do you know any of our missionaries? You might have been able to name one, probably Katie, or maybe a, a two or three if you knew some other missionaries that had visited us at some point. But other than that, Perhaps they were a kind of a, a very invisible group of people out there, kind of doing good work, but you really didn't know much about who they were. And so we digested that. We said, yep, that's kind of our experience right now. And Matthew said, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you're you know, taking the medicine, as it were. You got to do that. But there's hope on the horizon. And I want to start with you, he said, by really exploring what matters to you. What motivates you? What are the things that are just bedrock for you? You just want these to be true about you. And he said, let's go ahead and come up with this list. It's your basic motivations. We're going to call them again your set of missions values. And again, they act as a, a, a kind of a, a roadmap or a, a guardrail, it would be the better word, is saying we don't want to get too far off over here or too far off over here. When we're setting our plans, we want these things to be operating in the background and be true about us. And so we came up with six values. And those six values is what I want to share with you today. I'm going to share the plans and specifically what we're doing next week. But I want to start off today with what's the motivation? What's operating in the background that we want to be true about us as a church when it comes to thinking about missions or as we're going to frame it next week, neighbors and nations. All right. It is a little acronym or a mnemonic that we're giving you today to help you remember these six values. And the acronym is CCFRUR, or to remember it, CCFRUREADY. So there's, I'm going to give you one letter that corresponds to each one of those CCFRUR. And again, I'm, we're just trying to help you create a way to, to say, oh, I think I can come up with a few of those and remember that on the long run. All right, let me give you each of the CCFRURs. The very first one is compelled. We are compelled. We are compelled by the love of God to share His good news with everyone, remembering that we too were once lost and in need of a Savior. I'm wondering who it is that cared for you. Who is it that cared so much about you that they shared the gospel with you? I will never forget 1984, Bruce Hassold was a man that I ended up living with that summer because I was working a summer job, and he was the man who ended up sharing the gospel with me, and I will be forever grateful to him. And this idea of being compelled, it's been across the mission's effort for a long, long time. Read the Bible. All of the missionaries paid a very steep price because they were compelled in sharing the gospel. Missionaries, uh, maybe 150 years ago, used to pack all their belongings inside of their own casket and say, likelihood is I'm not coming back, so I'm just going to take all that with me and I'm going to go and, and, and live and preach and die in that land. And it was just because this compulsion was underneath. Today we can travel back and forth relatively easily, but we're all compelled. We want people to hear about the gospel. Do you, hear, do you feel that? Do you, do, you, do you have a sadness in your heart when individuals around you don't know the Lord? And if not, what would it take to arrive at that space in which that really mattered to you? I mean, the scriptures speak so vehemently about that and, and, and repeatedly about that. And so what does it take for us to feel that level of being compelled or compulsion? Number two, church-wide. We pursue missions, interests that engage our whole church body so that we might build up the church. 
Uh, in the next era of missions, we're hoping that, again, it's something all of us have the chance to do. There's a way for all of us to snap in. Imagine a church in which everybody is involved, and we get to the end of the year and we just celebrate. Wow! These are all of the ways that God used us as a church in our own neighborhood and among the nations, and we get to kind of have a celebration of that because everybody is involved There are many entry points, and everybody has the opportunity to make a difference. So we want everything that we do now to be church-wide. We want it to be focused. We are proactively and strategically making disciples by narrowing our scope to a few things, knowing that God will multiply our work. When somebody asks you in the future, you know, what's the church doing related to missions? I hope you have an answer to that, and I hope your answer is the same as your neighbor's. We all don't have a hundred different answers, but we have some similar answers, and we're saying, wow, our church is doing something really exciting, and I'm behind that. And as we set some of those priorities, there's power in that. There's power in having a common purpose. There's power in having that focus. And I would say in the past, we've been fairly shotgun. It's been like we've done some good things, but it's kind of in a shotgun fashion, and we're hoping to get more, you know, get more sniper-like. It's like, eh, okay, bang, that's the shot we want to take. And that's exactly what we want to do, and we're hoping to get focused in what we do. Number four is relational. We obey the Great Commission so we can form and keep kingdom partnerships with like-minded people or organizations to achieve our mission. We want to be involved with people, not just content ourselves with writing checks. CCF, you've excelled at something. You have excelled at giving. I'm so proud of this church Every time I think about giving, especially as it relates to missions, you've done a great job at that. And, you know, we're not trying to diminish that. We're not trying to say stop that. We're trying to say add on to that. And add on to that something that is relational, something that's intimate. We want to know missionaries in a more intimate way. We want to be relational and be building roads and and, and avenues and paths that we will follow together in making the gospel even more known. And so we're desiring, again, something deeper that's relational. That even is the the case for us in our local uh, neighborhoods and relational networks. We're wanting to be more relational there and care more about individuals at a heartfelt level. All right, so we've covered the CCFR. Here's the U. Unreached, we pursue those people around the world who've had the least access to the gospel. There are places in the world today in which there, if you were in that country, there would be no known Christian you would have ever met. There are individuals around the world that will wake up and die, uh, will, will be born, will live and will die and will never have the opportunity to hear about Christ And we care about places in the world that are like that. Let me give you a little tutorial here on people groups because that's important for where we're going. I've got the next slide here. And the next slide, oh yeah, that one. uh, Peoplegroups.com is a website dedicated to tracking the people groups around the world. And there are 12,009 people groups around the world made up of the 7.9 billion people in our world. And when I say people group, what do I mean? A people group is an ethno-linguistic group that has similar customs or similar practices within society. There are people who share a same language and they share a self, the, the self-identity which is the, the same among their group. And so there are, believe it or not, 12,009 people groups around the world. Let me give you the harsh reality here. 7,377 of them are unreached meaning that they don't have 
a good opportunity to hear about Christ. There's probably no church in their area. There's not many known believers in their area. If we were looking at it from a percentage standpoint, an unreached people group has 2% or less of the people of that group that are Christians. And so again, very low percentage. And again, there's, there's not a lot happening when it's uh, the spreading of the gospel in those uh, linguistic groups, ethno-linguistic groups. Uh, 3,227 of them are, are unengaged, meaning that there's no mission agency, there's no, there's no plans, nobody has anything on the drawing boards to go to those individuals at all, and there's 274 million of those. Uh, it, it's a hard reality for us to hear, and the truth is the church has not been very good at giving much resource towards that. Out of every $100,000 that the church in America takes in, it gives about $1 in reaching those unreached places. And so again, we don't have a very high priority for some of those peoples. When we start talking about the unreached places, I love a quote from David Platt, and this is what he says. Unreached peoples are unreached for a reason. They're hard, difficult, and dangerous to reach. All the easy ones are taken. <laughs> and there's so much truth in that, right? I mean, the easy places, that's kind of already been taken. It's the hard places where there's some resistance. It's the hard places where maybe it's language or customs that are difficult to overcome. And those are the places that we care about. We, we care about when there's a whole society that has not heard the gospel in a meaningful way to them. And I'm not talking about forcing that, but I'm talking about sharing that really with love and compassion. We care about that. All right, there's one more. It's risk. We surrender our time, talents, treasures, opportunities, and our very lives in pursuit of bringing the hope of the gospel to the world. The gospel oftentimes calls us to risk. And many times we'll risk the things that matter the most to us. There was a pastor who had a family that came to him. Actually, it was a husband and wife. And they said, Pastor, we need your help to talk to our daughter who is considering service as an overseas missionary. She was in college at that time. And he says, that is fantastic. And they said, oh, no, 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 no. We want you to talk her out of it. We don't want to, her to ruin her life. And maybe some of you feel that way too, that it would be a great risk for your child to go somewhere in the world and spend their lives in loving other people and telling them about Christ. I'm saying that there's risky things that all of us are going to be called to do. Some of it's even sending our own children or maybe giving up some of our own resources, some of our own time in order to see that the gospel goes from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. All right. I want to close today with something you've got in your hands, and it's this little booklet that we've given you today. The booklet that we've given you, and if you don't have it, there are these that are available on your way out today. They were at the table next to communion. And this is a list of the 14 missionaries and mission agencies that we as a church support right now. And I want to make sure that I'm stopping today to say a hearty Thank you to those individuals. I am proud of the individuals that we have supported over the years. Even if a lot of us don't know who they are, believe me, I've kept up and they are doing some wonderful work. I also want to say today that anytime you start talking about change, some of the people on this list might look at that and go, whoo, a lot of change on the horizon here. What's going on? Am I okay? 
And we're saying, hey, we want to affirm the work that you've done. And there's no immediate plans to change the support level of any of our missionaries. We think that probably there will be some attrition over time and some things change. I'm not saying that that won't happen. But there's no immediate plans for us to make any funding changes with any of the existing missionaries that we have. If there's anything that's going on right now, it's that we want to have a deeper relationship with those individuals. And one of the individuals that we've brought on with us is Peter Nordland. Where are you, Peter? Uh, you're here somewhere. There, right over there. Peter Norland. And, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're putting some resources to what, what we care about. And Peter Norland has come on as our director of Neighbors and Nations, and that will make sense to you by next week. And Peter is having contact with every one of our missionaries right now to say, hey, I want to learn about you. I want you to make sure to know kind of what's happening at CCF right now. And we want to begin laying tracks towards what the next era of missions looks like at CCF. And so, Peter, thank you for that. I also want to thank Peter because he was the one that developed this booklet that's in your hands today. Again, it's got a little uh, description of each one of our missionaries and also a prayer request. And so maybe I could ask you to pray this week. Pick out a missionary and pray this week for something that matters in their lives. You will begin to engage in the very uh, thing that we want is for everybody to have a part in the mission's efforts at CCF. All right. Our purpose remains the same. Our procedures or our methods may change, and that's okay. But our purpose remains the same. We wish to take the gospel to all nations, starting in our own Jerusalem and spreading out all the way to the ends of the earth. Next week, I'll tell you more about the five priorities that we have now and really the tracks that we want to lay with those five priorities that you'll be a part of so that we can fulfill the mandate and the calling that God has given to us. I want to share again next week a lot more. This week is just preparing our hearts and I'm hoping that you are at a spot of saying change is needed and I'm uh, eager to hear more about how we can participate together in the great commission of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we pause to say thank you for many, many years of fruitful service, but we've sensed the need for some renewal and we're asking you that that renewal would happen that would happen for your glory and for the effectiveness and the spread of the gospel to all the nations. We thank you for your faithful work, for the time where you have visited the individuals that are especially part of the Rethinking Missions program. And we pray now that we as a church are listening carefully to you, responding to you with a yes. We love you. We love the message of the gospel. It is transformative with your love and forgiveness. And we want all to hear. We pray this in Christ's name.